Welcome to the Karis Christian Center podcast. So um, go ahead and um, grab your Bibles. I'm going on to my third part of a series that I'm calling The Divine Imagination. And um, I'm I'm excited about tonight. Uh, I'm going to be talking about rehearsing the victory. I'm going to go kind of deep into this, what that means in Scripture. So uh, I'm going to give... just um, some thoughts that I've had into this, but um, first of all, I want to share from Proverbs 4.23. Proverbs 4.23. It says, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. You know, the writer here in Proverbs 4.23, he's talking about the soul. God cares about your soul. He cares about your heart. He cares about your emotions, your imagination. Um, really, God, God, the God of peace wants to sanctify every part of you, your spirit, soul, and body. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24, it says, now may the God of peace. I love that. We serve a God of peace. The God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful who will also do it. So God, God cares about every part of you, your spirit, your soul, your body. The spirit is the eternal part of you. That is what God breathed into mankind, what he breathed into Adam. God, in scripture, we know that God has breathed his breath, his life into two things. Scripturally speaking, God has breathed his divine life, his divine spark into two things. He breathed into Adam, into mankind. He also breathed into the word of God. The Bible says that all scripture is inspired by the word of God. In the Greek, that inspired by God, it's one word. It's theonoustos. It means the God breath. Theonuma, theo spirit, the God breath. All scripture is God breathed. So man cannot live by bread alone. If, God, if, if we have the God breath in us, we have, to, we have to connect with the God breath in the word, right? That's what Jesus was talking about. So man has to, has to live by the word of God um, because we are a spirit. That is the eternal part of us. You, you, every, every person living and breathing on the face of the earth is eternal. You, will, you, you are indestructible. Your spirit will spend eternity somewhere. So you want, you want to spend eternity in a good place, especially seeing that you are indestructible. You possess a soul. You possess a soul. Your soul, it's your mind, your will, your emotions. It goes beyond that. It's your thought life, your attitude, your overall outlook on life, your hopes, your ambitions, your desires, plans, even your personality, and, and also your imagination. Your imagination is part of your soul, and you live in a body. This body is, is a temporary suit while you're here on earth until you're given a suit that can live in heaven for eternity. Amen? So salvation, you you were saved in your spirit when you believed on Jesus. You are being saved in your soul and you will be saved when Jesus gives you an immortal, glorified body. Salvation is past, present, and future. Does that make sense? Your soul is being saved. It is being washed right now. Right now, as I dive into the word, your soul is being washed with the word. Amen. The Bible says to not be conformed to this world. Being conformed, it's not talking about your spirit. It's not talking about your body. It's talking about your soul, your your mind, your will, your emotions, your, your, 
your outlook on life, your, your paradigms, your way, the way you process things, the way you react to things. We are not to be conformed to this world, but we are to be transformed. And you're not just transformed in your mind. It, it, it's continual, right? You don't just read, read one. You don't just show up at church one time, read the Bible one time, and you think, I bet I'm, tra- I'm good for 50 years now. It's a continual thing. I've learned living with my wife, Heather. You know, she likes to, you know, update things at the house. But I know it's not a, it's, it's, it's done. It's a continual thing. I said, Heather, you know, we got some new blinds here. We have some great blinds people here at church tonight. We got some beautiful blinds. I said, Heather, this, it, it is finished. You know, we're not, we're not touching window treatments for at least another 20 years, hopefully. She said, well, I'll give you 10. I said, well, I'll take it for now. And take what I can get. So you possess, your soul should not possess you. Your emotions, your, your even, even your thoughts, your those things should not possess you. You possess your soul. And ultimately, the way you possess your soul is by giving it to God, saying, hey, God, I surrender my, my thoughts to you. I surrender my desires to you. I surrender my dreams to you. Even my imagination, everything in my heart, I surrender it to you. Amen. And if you lose your life for his sake, you'll really find it. You'll really find his desires. We talked about that some last week. So I want to talk a little bit about God's imagination. You know that God has an imagination. God has thoughts. He has dreams. He has desires. He has a will. We see this. God has a soul. We were created in his image. We are created with, with, with a spirit. We were created with, with a, a soul. God has a soul. He has an imagination. You know, when I first started this series a couple weeks ago, I didn't realize this, but I started right before a, a major Jewish holiday, the Jewish holiday, Rosh Hashanah, which is, Rosh Hashanah means the top of the head. It's the new year, and in Judaism, it's, it's the day that they celebrate when God created the universe. They believe that, that God created the universe on that exact day. Orthodox Jews believe when they celebrate Rosh Hashanah, that is, that is the exact day that God said, let their let there be light, and there was light. But some, some Jewish people have a tradition where the day before Rosh Hashanah is a day that you're supposed to dream. It's kind of like, like in, in our modern culture, there, there are certain days where you're supposed to dream and certain times you're supposed to make a wish. When you see a shooting star, you're supposed to make a wish because it will come true. Or when you have a birthday, before you blow out your candles, you're supposed to make a wish and it will come true. To, to some Jews, the day before Rosh Hashanah, you're supposed to dream because those dreams will come true because they believe that before God created, that he, he dreamed it. Before God said, let there be light, before he said, let there, let there, let there be night and day and animals and fish and let there be man and let us make him an our, God imagined it. God, but before God created trillions of galaxies and trillions and trillions of, of stars, God thought about each and every star where it would be placed. That is how beautiful, how genius, how magnificent God's imagination, even before, in the beginning, 
In the beginning, God created. In the beginning, God was imagining. He was dreaming. He was picturing it in his soul, what this universe was. And he was picturing what the crown of creation would look like, just like he knew every single star, trillions of stars. He knew every single soul that would be given his divine spark, his divine breath. He, he knew you before you were formed in your mother's womb, just like he knew and counted and, and placed trillions of stars. He knew you. In the beginning, God knew you. He imagined, he knew, he knew every, he knew your eye color. He knew the numbers of hair on your head. He knew everything about you. In Genesis 1, 1, in the beginning, God imagined you. And he was excited about you. God's imagination, it's, it's incredibly good. God doesn't imagine anything evil towards you. This is really powerful stuff. God does not imagine, he does not dream anything evil towards you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, I was kind of thinking about this. Because just in my, in my um, time of being a pastor, I've had, I've had different people approach me saying that they've had, they've had a dream and they want to share it with me. And, and the dream, sometimes it's a very negative dream. Shortly after I married Heather, someone who... who the Bible talks about people who think themselves to be spiritual. Someone who thought themselves to be very spiritual came and told me and Heather, we're actually going to marry Heather, I had a dream that Aaron died and you and Fisher were all alone. I know, I know that wasn't a dream from God. I think she should have checked what mushroom she put on her pizza the night before. Sometimes you, sometimes you have dreams. It's okay. Some, God, God does not have nightmares about you. And it wasn't, it wasn't from God. There was no, like, warning. There was no lookout. It was just like. But I, I, knew, I, know, I know God's thoughts toward me. I know his dreams toward me. I know his plans toward me. You know, I have Ada now. You know, God was giving me dreams about having a daughter. We, we knew that we were going to have a girl. We never even, from, from the moment we found out we are pregnant, we never even discussed a boy's name. I, I found a list of, of baby girl names, like a list of a thousand, and I read every single name to Heather, and she hated 998 of those names. I'm sorry, she probably hated your name, and she, she did hair, so she knows everyone in Shelbyville, Tennessee, and she said, no, that, that's a crazy person, crazy person, crazy, no, I, and there were two names, only two names out of this list of a thousand that she was okay with, and it was Ada Quinn, thankfully she was okay with the name Purdue. <laughs> She knows some crazy people with the last name Purdue, but she still gave A to the last name Purdue. You know, when, when, someone, when someone creates, they dream about it first, they imagine it, they plan for it, they get excited about it, then they make it happen. Like I said, when I, when, I, when I get ready to preach a message, I'm thinking about it, I'm imagining it, I'm even imagining all the points, all the scriptures I'll use, I'm thinking about it all week. And I just sit down and, and type it out. Mozart would do the same thing. His, his bosses would get really nervous because Mozart, the symphony, it's due. Like we're doing the concert this weekend, Mozart. Where is it? His, his dad, Mozart's dad actually taught him how to play piano, how to play violin. Took, took Mozart, you know, Wolfgang and his sister on concerts and his dad 
was kind of like my note, like Mozart, where is this? You know, you're playing for the king next week, where's this piano concerto? He said, it's all here. And then just a few days before, he'd, he'd just sit down and write it all out, perfect, no mistakes, all in, all in ink. Because he could imagine every flute part, every oboe, every violin, every note, every key, everything. He, that's how amazing Mozart's mind was. God's mind is infinitely beyond that. He could, he could picture every single star, trillions of stars. God could picture you in the beginning. Woo. Those first three words of the Bible, in the beginning, God, God pictured you. Jeremiah had a revelation of that. Jeremiah had a revelation of that. Jeremiah 1, verse 5. God spoke to Jeremiah and said this. Jeremiah 1, verse 5. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. God only has good plans. God does not have any nightmares about you. God does not have any evil thoughts towards you. God, God cares about you. He has great things in store for you. So if you, if you have a nightmare, it's, that's, not, that's not God's will for you. That is not, amen? Your, your imagination is probably, like I said, just tainted by something. I don't know. Dream, some, a lot of dreams aren't from God. Some are, but... If, if it's, if it's a, a bad thing, it's not, God, God does not wish bad things upon his people. Amen? He only has good thoughts. Jeremiah 29, 11. Again, Jeremiah. Jeremiah understood God's desires, God's dreams, God's imagination towards him. Jeremiah 29, verse 11. It says, for I know the thoughts that I think towards you. God has a soul. He thinks thoughts about you. Says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. I know that, that that dream that was presented to Heather was not from God. Amen. God's imagination, it is incredibly good. It is, it is beautiful. It is profound. God doesn't wish or desire anything evil upon anyone. Let's go um, now to Exodus 17. Exodus 17. I kind of want to give you some practical tips on how to tap into the, imag the divine imagination, that positive imagination that God has for you. And there are some things that you can practically do to, 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 to be transformed in your heart, to be transformed in the renewing of your mind, to be transformed in your imagination. So I'm going to be talking about rehearsing the victory. Let's go to Exodus 17, verse 8. One thing I kind of learned as a musician is oftentimes you, you, you win the competition before you even show up. A lot of athletes are probably the, the same. You actually win the game before you even show up. A lot of people lose the game before they even show up. It's because of how, what, what's going on in their mind. What are they rehearsing? What are they expecting? What are they planning for? What are they dreaming about? Exodus 17, verse 8. So this is when the Israelites were leaving um, Egypt. They, they crossed the Red Sea. They um, were just a few days into this journey. At this time, they're out of, out of 
out of water. God gave them water from a rock. God had been delivering them. But now would be the first time that Israel would have to fight hand-to-hand combat. When they were leaving Egypt, God just took care of Pharaoh and his army. He took care of the, the, probably the largest army in the world in an instant. God wiped them out. But now they would face the Amalekites, still a very powerful army, but they would have to face them uh, and, and fight themselves. So let's read about it here. Exodus 17, verse 8. Now Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. Rephidim means resting places. And I just loved worship tonight. I just felt so... It just felt so pure and restful, just the heart of, of that worship tonight. How many of you could sense that? I came and told some of the people, like, that, that was very pure. It was, so, it was, it was like pure H2O for, for my soul. It resonated with me. So, so they, they were in a resting place, but then the, there was an attack going on. Moses said to Joshua, choose us some men and go out, fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. This is the first time Joshua is mentioned in Scripture. This is the first time he's mentioned in Scripture. Moses appointed him to be the commander-in-chief, the general over the army to, to, to recruit people, train them, and fight with them. So it says, Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And so it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands became heavy, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and her supported his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side, and his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this for a memorial in the book and recount it in the hearing of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. The Amalekites repeatedly tried to knock Israel out of their resting place. We hear about Amalek um, many times throughout Scripture. Ultimately, God, God's word comes to pass, and Amalek is ultimately destroyed. Today, there is not a single descendant of Amalek on the face of the earth. In Scripture, it said that every single Amalekite ha- had been wiped off the face of the earth. That is why there is no one speaking Amalekitish today. We will not eat any food of Amalek next Friday at International Night. We will eat Israeli food. We will eat... Irish food, we will eat French food, we will eat German, we will not eat any Amalekite food because they repeatedly tried to attack the people of God. People who repeatedly try to attack the people of God, try to attack people who are anointed by the blood of Jesus, it's not going to work out in the long run for you. Verse 15, Moses built an altar there and called its name, The Lord is my banner, Jehovah Nisi, Yahweh Nisi. For he said, because the Lord has sworn, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. I love what the King James Version says here in verse 14. It says, the Lord said unto Moses, write this for a memorial in a book. That's what we have right here. Moses wrote it down in Exodus 17. Right here, Moses wrote this down and Joshua would read it. I believe this is one of Joshua's favorite passages of Scripture to read. He would read it probably before every single battle. Because in verse 14, when Moses is writing it down in the King James translation, I'm joking. 
Moses did not speak King James English. But I like what it says in King James. It says, the Lord said, to him, write this for a memorial in a book and rehearse it. Rehe- not just recount it, but rehearse it in the ears of Joshua. So there's something about rehearsing it. He would probably tell Joshua before they got geared up for the next ba- battle. The next battle against the, the Philistines or the Midianites or, or the, the Jebusites, all these ites that Joshua had to face. The Hittites, the I don't know, lots of, lots of ites. He probably tell, hey, Joshua, I'm going to grab the rod. We're going to rehearse this. Remember that first battle that you fought. I'm going to grab my rod. I'm just going to sit down, relax, put my arms up. You grab your sword. Practice your moves. Rehearse it. Remember what God did for you. Yeah. Rehearse it. What, 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 was, what was Moses and Joshua doing? They were imagining victory. They were using a past success, a past victory, and applying it to the future. The testimony of Jesus is a spirit of prophecy. What he did for one, he can do for another. If he did it then, he'll do it again. Rehearse it. You don't even have to to rehearse it. You can rehearse your past. You can rehearse someone else's past victories. You can, hey, if Jesus did it for the woman with the issue of blood, I can picture myself in her clothing. I I can picture myself in her shoes. I can picture myself touching the hem of Jesus. I can rehearse it. You can rehearse your past victory. And some, man, people easily forget their their victories. You you don't don't have to, with, with Jesus, if Jesus did it, if he did it for one person, he can do it for another person. So you can rehearse the victory with someone else's victory. When I, when I was just in fifth grade, I started taking flute lessons in Greeley, Colorado with a flute professor from the University of Northern Colorado. My dad would drive me um, three hours one way to have a flute lesson with this lady. We lived in Kit Carson, which is also known as Lodabar, a desert place. It's kind of the... the on the edge of the, you know, flat earthers believe that Kit Carson is at the edge of the earth. It's, you can see the edge of the earth right out. I'm, I'm joking. Fisher was asking about flat earth the other day. He somehow heard about it and said, well, there's a cube earth, Fisher. We, we believe, no, I was, I was just joking with him. <laughs> Kit Carson, if, if Kit Car- you know, it would be a flat earth. If, if there were, Kit Carson would be on the edge of it. Anyways, we drive three hours one way to Greeley. And I'd have a two-hour lesson, come back. I, we did this for, for um, four or five years. I'd have four years, um, a two-hour lesson, once a month, but it would take six hours round trip of driving to do this. And I was the only flute player in Kate Carson. No, no one to, to, to look up to, to inspire me, to rehearse their victories, to, to want to be like them. I was the only flute player I knew. Maybe, maybe you're the only faith-filled person that you know in your area. I'm not y'all here, but there might be some people watching right now. There aren't a lot of people like you. She, she told me one, one time, for, for, for an entire month, this is what, what I want you to do, Aaron. I want you to imagine that you are the greatest flute player in the world. Every time you pick up your flute and practice, I want you to imagine that you, she told me, imagine that you are James Galloway. 
He's one of the most famous flutists, one of the best flutists that's ever lived. She said, you know, when you, when you practice, and I remember for that entire month, every time I'd pick up my flute, put it together, I would go with, I would go with my dad to church when he was there at the office. I wanted to, to play in a bigger space. I just want to play in my bedroom. I needed to play in a big concert hall because I'm, I'm famous this month. I'm a big deal. I, and I play in this giant mega church in Kit Carson that could seat 150 people. <laughs> and and I, I imagine that I was playing before thousands of people. And you know what? I, I, I improved rapidly because I, I was rehearsing victory. I was imagining greatness. I was imagining success. A lot of people... They feel guilty to imagine victory. They feel guilty to, to imagine that way. They feel guilty to dream big. And it's because a lot of people, once people realize that you're a visionary, that you're a big dreamer, that your imagination works this way, a lot of people will try to attack that because the average person, their mind has not been renewed. The, the, the way the world works, is it's like, it's like, a bunch of mice trying to get out of a bucket. They see one getting out and they try to pull it down and, and try to devour it. That's the, way, that's the way the enemy works. A lot of people, over 90% of people have zero imagination. The way, the way their mind works, the way they're so, they're, it is just constantly in survival mode. It's constantly in just reacting mode. I'm not planning, I'm not on the, I'm just on defense. Constantly playing defense in life. You know where real creativity happens, where real imagination, it happens on the offense. I remember being a kid, like playing, playing baseball, playing football, playing basketball with other, we would come up with trick plays. We would imagine these wild trick plays because on the offense is where your imagination really works. A lot of people aren't on the offense. They can't even imagine being on the offense of life. They're just constantly Good. running in retreat, on the defense, running like, Oh, yes, sir. And one person thinks a little more forward, thinks with a little vision, thinks with a little, the way God wants them to think, with the divine imagination. Yeah. Rehearse the victory. Every time, I believe every time that Joshua had to fight a battle, he was, he was rehearsing. He was, he was going back to that battle. He could picture every single move he had, every single... He, could, he, he imagined every little thing about that. He said, if God did it, then he's going to do it again. Imagine where you prayed and believed God for something, and he brought it to pass. Maybe, maybe you were believing God to... to, to Recover from an illness to regain your strength. Maybe you were believing God to meet your spouse. Maybe you were believing God for a job. Maybe you were believing God to find a good church. Maybe you were, th think about the things that God has done. And how, in, in the process, what like the battle was like, the waiting was like, the, the, imagine it. Sometimes it's hard to, I can't, I can't hardly imagine what it's like to be single and to be waiting and believing and trusting God to meet Heather one day. But sometimes I have to force myself to go back there and imagine what it was like. 
what it was like waiting and praying and believing, and what it was like when God brought it to pass. A major, major, huge victory in life. Imagine what God has done, some of the good things that he has done for you. Imagine it. Remember remember what, what it was like, what the feeling was like when that thing came to pass. Imagine that feeling. I believe that as Joshua is imagining that feeling of defeating the Amalekites and Moses building that altar and saying, this is who our God is. He is Yahweh Nisi. He is the Lord of victory. I believe every time he was gearing up for battle, he, he, he imagined that, he rehearsed that. He, he pictured that flag. He pictured Yahweh over the people of Israel. He pictured Yahweh. And he probably got, just imagining that feeling, he probably got so excited, he couldn't help but just go and face anyone. I don't care if it's the Amalekites, the Hittites, the I don't care. Let me at them. Give me my mountain. And in all of Israel, besides, it was Joshua and Caleb were the only ones who could remember, who could imagine, who could rehearse the victory. You want to know what dreams are from God? They aren't nightmares. They aren't dreams of people doing weird things. They aren't dreams that, that, that create division and pull people away from the church. And We've had people leave the church because they've had some screwball dreams about someone at the church. That's just, it's just planted in their head from the devil. From the devil. <laughs> and and you, you create division and strife and garbage. God, God gave me a dream. This is, this is, this is a dream that I, I believe, a vision that God gave me. This is what a, a, a God-given vision, a dream looks like, what it feels like, and it's, it's different than just some random thing you, you. When I was 22 years old, I, I was playing um, in a you know, classical music program in Santa Barbara, California. One of the top collegiate you know, classical music festivals in the country. Um, and um, just playing, playing concerts, concerts every, every morning, afternoon, day, night, just music all the time. And, um, I went to my dorm before dinner, took, took an hour nap, and I, I had a dream that I believe was from God. And I'll tell you what happened in the dream and what it felt like. So in this dream, this is, this is in the late afternoon right before dinner, I, um, I had this, this, this dream. I, I was playing my flute, and I was back in Kit Carson, Colorado, right in front of our church, Church of the Redeemed. In the, in the field right in front of Church of the Redeemed, I was playing, and there was, there was wheat around me, long grass around me, and I was just playing my flute, and all of a sudden, there were, there were people um, that just came and surrounded me, people, and I knew that, that they weren't believers, they were, they were um, I could just sense, I had this like discernment about them in my dream that they, that they um, 
needed ministered to. So I sat my flute down and just went around in a circle, just laying my hands on people and praying for people. There was someone with, a, with an eye that was blind and bloodied, and I prayed for their eye and was healed. And um, when, when I, shortly after this, I woke up from the dream. And that dream was so vivid, so real, so, I remember when I went to dinner, like going to dinner felt like it didn't feel real to me. The dream felt more real than the, the natural realm felt to me. For, 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 for the rest of that evening, like, it, it felt like what, what I was experiencing was a dream compared to, I, I knew God was showing me something really deep in my spirit at that point. And, um, and I, I knew that at some point I would be, be ministering to people. I knew that music would be a part of my life, but I knew that ministry would be a part of my life as well. Amen? And God was, God was just helping me, even from that point, imagining praying for people. Imagine laying your hands on sick people and seeing them recover. Even before I'd ever really done that before, God was putting those dreams, those visions in my heart. I remember, I remember coming here as a pastor six and a half years ago. Early on there, there was a young woman here at our church. She, um, she, she had several children. I think she had three kids, three young children at the time. Um, her mother had passed away. Very strong believer, but she'd been sent to the hospital. She had, had um, they diagnosed her with, with a major heart problem. And um, my dad sent me and the worship leader at the time to go pray for her. And, and on the way, I, I just started picturing myself praying for her, picturing her being healed, imagining that, rehearsing that before I even got there. And I got there with me and the, the worship leader. We prayed over her. They, they kept doing tests, different things, but, but ultimately she, her heart was completely healed. Completely healed. A, a young, young woman, three little kids, very, very tragic type situation, but she was completely healed. This past summer, I was out um, just watering in my garden, and God spoke to me and said, you need to, you need to start imagining yourself raising the dead. I've never, until that point, I've never imagined myself laying, raising someone from the dead. Some, thing, some people's, like, like you can't, some people are so limited in their, like it, even to say, imagine doing that, they just can't do it. I've never really done it before. Your imagination, it's tied to your faith. Your imagination is a doorway into your spirit. When that happened, my, not around that same time, there was someone here at our church, Herb Carter, the head of the prayer team. Between, between services, he was back with the, you know, the, the prayer team, and um, he, he, um, we believe he died. His, he, he, he said he didn't feel well, sat on a chair, um, then slumped over, skin lost color. Two, two women who, who've had a nursing background checked his pulse. It, it wasn't there or it was very erratic. They had my dad come back there. My dad, um, 
began to pray over him. Probably, I think they said he slapped him in the, in the heart and said, come live or something and rebuke the spirit of death. And he commanded his heart to, stop, to start and his blood to flow, and, and he came back. And then um, he was taken to the hospital that they did tests, kept him overnight, couldn't find anything wrong, um, did, did further tests for a few weeks, couldn't find anything wrong with his heart. Nothing, not, no, no evidence of anything going wrong. So when God told me to, to imagine, he, you know, raising someone, I started imagining myself punching Herb Carter in the, in the chest. <laughs> Herb's not here tonight, so I can, I can kind of, all of you can, can use this, you can use someone else's victory for your rehearsing the victory. Amen, rehearse the victory. And so, so, so many people are just so, so limited in their imagination. They just get upset if, if you have an imagination that goes at all in the forward direction. This is kind of my last point for you tonight, but it's to practice your end zone dance. I think Joshua, even before the battle, just from rehearsing the victory, he would start practicing his end zone dance. You know, um, this past Saturday, Heather and I and my brother Andrew and his wife Bree, we went to an Air Force Academy football game. And during halftime, they, they invited some of the cadets to come down on the field. There they were, they were, they were two teams of cadets, and they, they, they had a competition to see who had the best end zone dance. And the team that won, they had really rehearsed it. They actually had a barber show up, and they, they like pretend they beat this guy and put him on a chair and shaved his head right there in the end zone. They, they had practiced this end zone dance. And they, they won the, the award, which is like a $25 gift card to you know, a barbecue place. It wasn't that much, but it was just kind of funny. You know, I remember when I was in sixth grade, I started playing football. Like right before, I, you know, the summer before, I'd start playing football. I just started imagining myself. Like, I was imagining myself in the NFL. I was imagining myself wearing all the pads. I was imagining my end zone dance. I don't think I ever ended up scoring a touch. I, I might have scored one. I, I was usually on defense playing safety. I think one time I got an interception and ran it back, like, right at the very end of the year. So my, my dream came to pass. But you can't do an end zone dance in six-man 1A football on Kit Carson, it's, a, it's, a, it's considered offensive to, you know, you get a flag and unsportsmanlike conduct. God's rules are like the NFL. You can do all the end zone dancing you want and you won't get a flag. You won't get penalized. Especially in the charismatic church, you, you, you can do your end zone dance. You will not be penalized. You will not be asked, you will not be ejected from the game for doing an end zone dance. And the reason why is because what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 2, verse 14. 2 Corinthians 2, verse 14. I'm going to read from the NIV. It says, But thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. We are captive. We, 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 you can't lose. Spiritually speaking, you, you are completely triumphant because Christ is completely triumphant. You can only lose if you're deceived into thinking you're a loser 
or, or just, just constantly going in the world's direction, which is a losing direction to go in. You can practice your end zone dance. You can, you can imagine it in your soul. You can do it in, the, in your body, in your earth suit. It's okay, especially at this church. You can imagine it even before you go to the battle, even during the battle, even if you haven't made it to the end zone yet, you can go ahead and rehearse the victory. You can go ahead and do an end zone dance. Whenever you want. You can do it now. You can do it at home what you want, if you want. And this is, this is something that God has spoke to me, but, but uh, I, I said it a little bit earlier, but I want to say it again. Too many people are simply going through life in reaction mode. No imagination, no creativity, no dreams, no just, just constantly reacting. Just constantly playing defense, constantly in retreat, constantly just trying to survive. All of these things, it does not take any creativity, any forethought, any imagination, any rehearsing the victory, any end zone dancing practice going on. It's really easy to just sit like a lump on a log with a frown on your face and have no emotion. But we should be vibrant, full of life, full of imagining. Rather than constantly reacting, we should be anticipating. That's called faith. Positive expectation. Rather than just playing defense, we should go on the offense. Yes, offense takes more creativity. It takes more planning. It takes more forethought, but it's exciting. That's where you can do some unexpected things. Maybe dream about some unexpected things. Maybe be like the Jews and take a day where you just dream. I've done that before. I've done that in some of the uh, lowest valleys of my life. I just took, took an afternoon and just sat down, went on a walk, wrote in my journal, just, just dreamed the craziest dreams. I forced myself to do it. I didn't feel like doing it. I didn't... I couldn't picture it at that time on the outside, but I, I, I wrote down in my, in my journal just these wild dreams. I didn't put any rules to them. Rather than just think about surviving, think about thriving. Think about thriving. Think about prosperity. I was asked by someone recently if, if I would come to a debate. They get together with people of different denominations and debate different things. And they asked me if I would debate and be on the side that's pro-prosperity gospel. <laughs> you know what I would say? And I, I declined. Because I would get so angry. My, I know. I know. I can imagine how I would react in the situation, and it wouldn't be a good testimony to these people who I love because they're brothers in Christ, but this is what I would say. If you want to be poor, God will let you be poor. You can stop striving. You can stop working. You can stop being productive. You can stop caring for your family. You can stop caring about others. You can stop giving. 
But if you want to prosper, go to work, be productive, be a good steward, care for the needs of your family, care for the needs of others, be a giver, have more than enough so you can give to every good work. But if you want to be poor, go ahead. And the person who invited me to this, I, I know he theologically is against the prosperity gospel, but I said, hey, you ought to debate for, for that. You know, you strive, you work hard, you, you, you're ambitious, you take good care of your family, you're a giver, you're very generous, you're actually very prosperous. And the denomination de- de- that you are part of is probably the wealthiest organization in the world, the Catholic Church. I've been to, you know, their, their main church. They have a lot of very valuable items there. You know, they, they also help a lot of people in the world. And, you know, if... I, I thank God that this is a prosperous church. That we have more than enough. That this grace has abounded toward us so that always having all sufficiency in all things, we can have an abundance for every good work. If you want to be poor, be poor. If you don't want to give, don't give. Thank you for listening to the Karis Christian Center podcast. If you would like to receive prayer, product, or more information about the ministry, go to www.karischristiancenter.com or call us at 719-418-4000.